Uh, some of you may know or you may not know that that we plan uh, sermon themes and sermon. Oh, here's a shark. And I mean, I, it, it was shark week last week. Um, we plan sermon themes and sermon topics anywhere from three to 18 months in advance. So we kind of have a template for where we're going and what we're doing. So all that to say that this uh, scripture on the armor of God has been on the books for this weekend for months. The other thing that we plan as much in advance as we can is who's going to be preaching on different weekends, depending on where we need to be or who's out of town. And so I get to preach on the armor of God. Now, next week is the fruit of the Spirit. And Thomas gets to preach on the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, the armor of God. I said to Thomas, I'm happy to switch with you. He said, no thanks. Right? Right? The armor of God is such a timely thing for us to talk about, and yet it also is such a difficult thing for us to take in. I wish that it was as easy as buying a product and spraying it on us or wiping it all on us, right? Uh, That would be so much easier. This product might be great for your car. It's terrible for your soul. There's work for us to do when it comes to how it is we live in the midst of this world and how we gear up for every day. The truth is, I I think this text is important for us, and I'm glad that it's me. Uh, I'm glad I'm here with you today to walk through it. I've been wrestling all week with with the balance of offering a word of challenge to us and a word of encouragement to us, because the truth is, no matter what I say, no matter what words come out of my mouth, we will hear different things, and some of us will be challenged by certain things and encouraged by certain things, and they won't be the same thing for anybody. And so I just want to say, if you uh, get to the point today where you feel a little uncomfortable, uh, take it up with the Holy Spirit and not me, right? And if you get to the point where you find some encouragement, take it up with the Holy Spirit. Offer thanks to God, not me. The Holy Spirit is present as the body of Christ gathers. And we need this word of God to remind us who we are in the midst of this broken world who we are as God's beloved children when the world would try to convince us otherwise. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word to us today, that it would take hold of us and transform us. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. This is at the end of the letter. Finally, he writes, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand, therefore, and fasten the belt of truth around your waist, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all these, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. 
Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. I don't know about you, but I suspect it's true that for you and for me, the world feels a lot like a battleground. Many days, if not most days, it feels a lot like a battleground. We're fighting. All of us in some way are fighting for position and for power and for resources. We're fighting as a nation. We're fighting as businesses and corporations. We're fighting as churches. We're fighting as families and as individuals, all in this quest to find safety and security and power and control. We're bombarded by fear and anxiety. We're bombarded by angst and and anger, and and the news around us fuels that for us. It's, It's nearly impossible in today's world where we have access to news as it's happening. It's nearly impossible to to walk outside of yourself and not hear the news. You turn on the TV, you hear the news. You turn on the radio, you hear the news. You listen to uh, people talking around you, you're going to hear the news. And the news, though there is good news, a lot of what we hear is terrible. And it only fuels our anxiety and our fear and our angst about what to do. It could be any number of issues that, that trigger that response for you, but I suspect that it doesn't help that we seem to have this cumulative effect of all the things that are wrong in our world. The recent shootings, the crisis at the border, immigration, gun control, health care, mental health, domestic violence, climate change, LBGTQ, uh, racism, the war around the world, Poverty, the socioeconomic divide, any, of the, any one of those things is enough to increase our anxiety and fear. But when they're constant in our thoughts and in our world and in our conversation, it just feels really heavy. We're afraid and we're angry and we're on edge. And when we are in these places where we feel threatened, either a real threat or a perceived threat, then physically and emotionally and spiritually and uh, uh, mentally, we're in, we stay in this heightened state of anxiety. We're created in such a way with this reflex in us that is to fight, flight, or, or freeze when we're threatened. And that, that comes from a part of our brain, the reptilian part of our brain that we need for survival. It's good for survival, but it's not very good for thriving. Because when that part of our brain kicks in, then we are unable to think about what we're feeling or about what we're doing And we live in a state of reacting to things rather than responding to things. It's as if our response ability is hindered by our reactivity. And we double down on the things that we think will make us feel safe, even if that threatens someone else's well-being. And in our obsession with needing to be right and needing to be certain that we are right, 
We create enemies out of one another that aren't enemies. Even in the church, we do this. Y'all, the real battle that we are in is not with one another. The real battle that we are in is not against flesh and blood. I think we know that. I think somewhere in us, we know that. If you've been around the church at all for any length of time, you've probably heard the term spiritual warfare. You maybe uh, have experience in that uh, spiritual battle uh, in your own soul and in your own life. You may hear about it in, in different ways. We're exposed to it, but we don't always know where we land in it. And we confuse the spiritual warfare battle with our disagreement and our angst with one another. I think we know that, but I wonder if we looked at what we post on social media or if we looked at or listened to how we have conversation with friends during the week, I wonder if our thoughts and our words and our actions reflect the truth about the real battle that we're in. When we find ourselves not agreeing with someone else, what do we do? Where do we put our energy? Do we attack them? Do we avoid them? Do we simply do nothing and hope they go away? Do we stop talking to them and instead we start talking about them? I I know that we do. All of us do. But the real battle that we're in is not against one another. Do you know what happens when we do that? Do you know what happens when we make one another, either brothers and sisters in Christ or brothers and sisters around the world in other faiths, any, any part of God's creation? Do, do you know what happens when we, we make one another the enemy? When we use our weapons against one another? We're hurting ourselves. When we make the other person the enemy and we aim our weapons at them, it may wound them, but we're really hurting our own body, our own souls, our own well-being. And do you know what the real enemy does? (laughs) The real enemy just sits back and watches. We're doing the work of God's greatest adversary when we make the battle against one another. That's not the battle that we're really in. And yet I wonder how much of our time and energy and resources we put fueling that battle, supplying that battle. Paul says, Finally, be strong in yourself and in the strength of your power and put on the whole armor as you see fit. Right? No. Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God. Not my own strength, 
not the strength of my position or my opinion or my power, not the armor that has my name on it, not the armor of the United Methodist Church, not the armor of a political party or of any ideological stance, the strength and the power and the armor of God, which is ours the very moment we offer our lives to Christ. As soon as we make that first confession of faith, that Jesus is Lord and Savior, this armor of God that Paul talks about is ours. We are no longer ourselves. We are found in Christ. That's how God sees us. We're clothed in new life. We don't have to do anything to receive it, right? We, it's ours, but we do have to wear it. It's given to us. But we have to wear it. When we surrender our will and our way to God's will and God's way, then truth and righteousness and peace and salvation, they're ours. They're already ours. We're going to walk through the armor of God a little bit. I was so glad for what Amy did bringing Uh, helping us get dressed in the armor of God. And it doesn't work just at school, right? People should take it to their offices, right? And probably at home, it would work well at home too if we all remembered to uh, dress in the armor of God. The belt of truth. The belt for uh, the soldiers was a key piece of their equipment, a key piece of their armor. It not only uh, helped hold their sword and helped um, hold up the breastplate, but it helped um, them hold their, they wore long, longer clothes, longer robes and tunics. And so the belt helped hold those up in a way that gave them freedom of movement. They were able to move to run, to go wherever they needed to go, and they were able to help carry the equipment that they needed to be in battle. The belt of truth, we need the truth of who God is, the truth of who we are in God, the truth of God's love for us. That's what sets us free and allows us to move around this battleground of the world in which we live, the truth around our waist that is a foundational piece of how we live in the world. But think about all the lies we tell ourselves and all the lies that the world tells us about who we are, about God's love for us, about how the world is supposed to be. We have to put the belt of truth on us so that we are free to move about the battleground as God invites us to do the breastplate of righteousness that guards our hearts, that guards our hearts. Righteousness is not about being right. It's about being in right relationship. When we offer ourselves to Jesus, being our Lord and our Savior, then then that's how God sees us through Christ, through the righteousness of Christ. We receive it and we live into it. In Christ, We are in right relationship with God. The breastplate of righteousness is about guarding our hearts so that we stay in right relationship with God. We're created in the image and likeness of God. We belong to God. The world will tell us otherwise. This breastplate of right relationship helps guard our hearts. Shoes for your feet. Shoes are very important 
The soldiers would wear shoes so that they were always ready to go when they needed to go. And Paul writes, these are the shoes that carry the gospel of peace. The shoes that we wear as followers of Christ aren't meant to kick people down or trample upon them or walk all over them. The shoes of peace are what Christ asks, God asks us to wear when we go to work, when we walk through our home, when we post on social media. When, when we're walking out in the midst of the broken world, are our shoes ones of peace? The shield of faith. The shield of faith. When we think of shields, we might initially picture this kind of shield that's a smaller, small-ish and round uh, that we would hold in front of us. And that is one kind of shield. But the word that Paul uses here is actually a shield that is more like this. It's about two and a half feet wide and four feet tall. And it covers your whole body. Typically, it's made of two or three pieces of wood that are put together, but it's covered in leather that is soaked in water. The shield of faith to quench the arrows, the fiery arrows. One of the weapons used was the arrow that would be set on fire. The tip would be set on fire and aimed at you. And so the leather cover that is uh, soaked in water would help extinguish those arrows. And then, of course, the shield itself would prevent the arrow from puncturing you. Faith is our trust in God. That's our shield. And when you're in the midst of the battle, it's important to know in whom you trust. It's important to know who you're going to look to for orders and for encouragement and for direction. Are you going to look to God? Or are you going to look to the world? Are you going to look to somebody else's opinion? Are you going to look to how you feel? Our shield of faith is faith in God. The enemy is going to attack any way possible, and that will impact us differently. For some, those arrows are arrows of discouragement, of division, of doubt. For some, it's arrows of pride and envy and comparison. Whatever it is that the enemy aims at you, we need the faith in God to know who we are and to know who's leading us. So that when the arrows of the enemy are aimed at us, they don't have any place to land in us. Without the shield of faith, the arrows hit their mark and it's hard for us to stand firm. The shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. One of the most vital and important parts of our bodies is our head, our mind. When we look up around to see what's happening, the enemy has a clearer target. The helmet of salvation, the, the salvation that is the wholeness that ours, we are saved from the power of sin and we're saved for eternal life and for abundant life. We're not just saved from something and then nothing else happens. We're saved for life, for living as ones who follow Jesus, this helmet of salvation, when we remember that and wear that, we, we have our mind and our thoughts guarded and protected. It's important in this world in which we are so tempted to always react. It's important that our mind is protected so that our thoughts lead us to the truth of who we are. And then the sword of the Spirit. 
The sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God. Scripture. The Scripture, the Word of God, this written Word of God, the whole thing points us to Jesus. The Word of God made flesh. The Word made flesh, who was in the beginning with God. Scripture points us to the Word. The Word points us to Jesus, the design, the blueprint of all of life. This is the only part of the armor that is both an offensive weapon and a defensive weapon. Everything else really is defensive. And this is an offensive weapon as well. Jesus, in the wilderness when he was tempted, used the word of God to resist temptation. The word of God is helpful for us too to be used to resist temptation, to know what's true, to know who we are. But our tendency is to use the word of God to defend ourselves and our opinions and our thoughts rather than resisting the temptation that comes from living in this broken world. Scripture, the word of God as a sword of the spirit, is not intended to be used against one another. It's intended to be used against the sin that is present in our world. Do you hear the the difference? Scripture is not intended to be used against one another, but against the sin and the brokenness and the oppression and the injustice in our world. The challenge is many of us don't even know what the word of God says. We know some of it, Because we have it as a a tool, and so kind of as a last resort, sometimes we need something to help defend ourselves. And so we go to the Word of God, and we find what God says that lines up with how we feel or what we think. And clearly, if God says it, and it's how we think, then we must be on God's side, and God must be on our side. And that's not necessarily true. The word of God is to be hidden in our hearts. The whole word of God points to Jesus. The whole word of God speaks to God's love for all of God's people. Speaks to God's love for all of creation. It is God's story of love for us. What if, what if we actually allowed the word of God to be primarily God's story of love and uh, less God's story of punishment for people who don't agree with us? What if, what if we actually allowed the sword of the spirit, the, the word of God, to uh, be an instrument that helps us stay in right relationship with one another and with God rather than uh, needing to use it to prove our point? The belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, shoes for our feet, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, and finally, the most important probably, prayer. Prayer, without prayer, without prayer, which is our communion and our communication, our connection with God, without that, we might as well be using armor all. Prayer is what holds the whole armor together. 
without prayer, without prayer, how do we know what the truth is? Without communion with God in prayer, how do we know what it means to be in right relationship? How do we know God's peace? How do we know salvation? Without communion and communication and connection with God, how do we even know what the armor looks like? The truth is that we don't. So if we're trying to wear the armor without communion with God, then we're missing the point. And we're spending a lot of energy trying to manufacture our own strength and our own power. Friends, the way of the world around us isn't going to change. The enemy in this bigger battle will always seek to discourage us and to discredit us, to break our hearts and to steal our faith, to make us believe that God doesn't love us or that God isn't faithful. The the ways of the world are not going to change. But you know what else is not going to change? Our position as beloved children of God, not going to change. That's who we are in Christ And in Christ, as beloved children of God, that's where our strength comes from. Our strength comes from God, who ultimately wins the whole dadgum thing. That's where our strength comes from. And yet, in the meantime, the ways of the world are harsh and heavy, and we don't know what to do with everything that is coming our way. We can feel like we're surrounded, and when we feel surrounded... We feel like we've got to fight our way out. And certainly there are things that we need to do. To stand firm doesn't mean to not act. It doesn't mean we do nothing. But all of the things that are issues for us in our world are going to impact each of us differently. And we have different gifts and different talents and different calls to serve and to love. But we've got to figure out that that even if we respond differently, we stand in the same strength, the same power. It's not our own. It's God's. And we stand together as the body of Christ. In closing, I want to tell you a story about uh, a company out of the Korean War, the Baker Company, and in the middle of one of the the battles, the Baker Company got separated from the rest of the troops. They lost all connection with them for a while and tried over and over again to reach the Baker Company and finally got a signal in. And the commander said, Baker Company, what's your situation? And the sergeant of the Baker Company said, well, the enemy is to the east of us and the enemy is to the west of us. The enemy is to the north of us and the enemy is to the south of us. And then after a pause, he said... The enemy is not going to get away from us this time. In the midst of being surrounded, he could have chosen to accept defeat and give in. Instead, he focused on victory. Some days it may feel like we're surrounded on all sides. And if we are going to choose to be surrounded, to know that we're surrounded and to believe that we're defeated then we're going to be tempted to give in and to give up or to turn on one another. But if we know that we're victorious, if we know God's already won, then we can stand firm and we can stand together. If we think 
that the enemy is flesh and blood, if we think that the enemy is one another, then we've already lost, friends. But if we understand that the real battle is greater than this, it's on a different plane. If we understand that, and if we know that we're in Christ, that we are secure in Christ, then we don't have to be afraid. And when we realize that we don't have to be afraid, then we can move out of being so reactive to it all, and we can choose to be more responsive to it all. The world needs us to respond more than it needs us to react. Finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his power. Let the people say amen. I want you to uh, turn around and look at one another in this space. Just look at the people that are here. Look at one another. Look at somebody in the eyes, not just looking at people. Look at someone, right? Okay. These people that you just looked at are not your enemies. They may disagree with you about any number of things, but they are not your enemies. Amen. Friends, the world needs to know that the church is one body in Christ. So when we turn against one another, the world can't know that. Even when we disagree, we come to worship as one body in Christ. We've got to be the church. So as you go out into the world, I hope you feel challenged today. Take it up with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and I hope you feel encouraged today. Give thanks to God. Because we're not in this alone. But we've got to stop aiming our weapons at one another. Amen. Let's make the work hard for the enemy. Shall we? Let's make the work hard for the enemy because we are one in Christ. So as you go back out into the world, that will, uh, you know, as soon as you go out the doors, the arrows will start flying, I guarantee you, right? Choose to know that you go in the love of God. Be sure of God's love for you and go in the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and go in the power and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Amen.